Now, what movie did I watch today? I remember all my life Raining down as cold as ice Shadows of a man A face through a window Flying in the night The night goes into And just another day Happy people pass my way Looking in their eyes I see a memory I never realized How happy you made me Oh man, But you came and you gave without taking But I sent you away Oh man, Will you kiss me and stop me from shaking Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Film Find, the greatest movie podcast ever. I'm your host, Adam Portress. Matt is out this week, but back on the rampage yet again. Ooh, I didn't even plan that. That's just, that's how, that came fucking natural, kids. Justin Mullis back to the show. Welcome back, Justin. Nice to be back. Oh, man, oh, man, do we have a show for you. And there's a reason I chose this song. Do you know why? I don't. Okay, so... The original, obviously, is by Barry Manilow, and everybody for years and years thought, oh, that's such a lovely song. He wrote that about some lady named Barry. Well, later on, obviously, we would find out that Barry Manilow was gay. Most of us were not very surprised by this announcement, but at the time, obviously, everyone thought Barry Manilow was straight. And uh, he was just like, "Uh, no, that song was not about a lady. That song was about my dog. (laughs) That is a true story. Oh, break it down. He's singing this about a dog, everybody. Come on. You kissed me and stopped me from singing, and that's and that's about a dog. All right. <laughs> that's Barry Manilow for you, everybody. And nobody said, oh, oh, that's that seems like a telling sign of something. Maybe that he's just not interested in the ladies. <laughs> it's about his dog. And uh, because that all wraps into the show, because today we are going to be reviewing... Isle of Dogs. Ooh, you see what I did there? We 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 put everything together and uh, made it into a movie sandwich. I don't know what that means. <laughs> I'm breathing on my, I'm choking on my own joke because it's that bad. Ah, <laughs> uh, but yes. Yeah, so today we're going to be covering the new animated film by Wes Anderson, Isle of Dogs, and of course wrapping it up with Rampage, uh, the movie that when everyone when it was announced, I don't know about you, but I was like. Really? <laughs> based on the based on the game. Have you played the game of Rampage? There's not a lot to it. Just pretty much destroying some buildings. And we'll see if it actually lived up to the hype of destroying buildings on the show. Uh but yeah, man. So uh welcome back. Uh it's been it's been a second since we've kind of done some stuff, but we put everything together. Um. Yeah. Well, I think we're gonna have a good old-fashioned time. I don't know if you prepped. Have you watched anything lately of note? I've got a couple of things. If you don't, uh, you can go first. I might have something to throw in. All right. Grab some. Grab some thoughts. I'll go ahead and give you a little bit here. Uh. Oh. I, and while I'm doing it, shit. I might as well. We might as well do the mailbag at the exact same time here because I have because part of my what you've been watching delves into the mailbag as well. Let's play the damn thing. Bale's here. And uh, this email comes from a longtime listener of all the podcasts that we do over here, uh, Micah. 
And Micah says, sorry to ignore, uh, sorry, <laughs> sorry, ignore my last email, but please do an episode on Frasier. Hands down, one of my favorite shows. However, I can never get past the season past Niles and Daphne getting together. That's for Micah. Uh, Micah, yes, I have continued to watch Frasier, and I am uh, in the midst. I don't remember what episode I'm on right now or what season even. Let me look that up half a second here. Uh, but, yes, I am past the point where Niles and Daphne are together at this point. What's almost more jarring than that is when the show all of a sudden goes into 16-9 aspect ratio. <laughs> like, what the fuck is Oh, all right. Uh, but they are they're getting into a lot of uh, season I just finished uh, season 10 episode 15 uh, so getting getting towards the end here so it's been like a three week run just binging the entire <clears throat> the entire series of Frasier it's just been something that I've kind of put on in the background has been a you know just a distraction I guess or something I'll put on so I go to sleep or whatever uh, Justin fan of Frasier at all? Uh, yeah, I grew up watching Frasier, actually. Um, that's probably not something you hear a lot of people say. You know, that was a childhood show, Frasier. Um, but that was true. Uh, my um, my parents were big fans of Cheers, mm-hmm. and so when uh, Frasier came along, they watched Frasier, and um, I would often uh, watch it with them. And, you know, the thing about Frasier that I always say is that it, it – taught me what I thought was an important lesson at the time, and I guess I still do today, um, which is, you know, that, you know, Frasier and, and Niles and the other characters in the show, you know, they're these very well-educated individuals. They're these, they're psychologists, you know, they, they're well off, um, but they still have the same problems as everybody else. And so, you know, it told me that it doesn't matter how smart you are, you're still going to have the same problems as other people. So, and and um, that everybody has their own different predilections and different, uh, you know, quirks and nuances to their, you know, personality and stuff that may be completely different to what you, you know, we're all kind of used to. And this show was on the air forever. Forever, like I said, this this thing is eleven seasons long. Started out in like nineteen ninety three, ninety three to two thousand four. So, I mean, that's yeah. a wide breadth of television right there, uh, from what is like you said, essentially a spinoff from Cheers to become, I would say, uh, argue one one could argue, I guess, as as successful if not more successful than Cheers. Yeah, I think that's definitely. I think that's an argument for sure. And Cheers was a great show, and the fact that you were just like, and spinoff shows don't tend to work really well, or if they do, it's it, they're few and far between. You know, uh, no one wants to because, like, for example, <clears throat> they were talking for a while about like when Seinfeld was in. It's like, hey, maybe we can spin off one of these characters. And I love Seinfeld. I don't want to see those characters out of that mix. At all, yeah. <laughs> that the, the what makes them good is they're here, and and even Frazier like talks a little bit about that too, of you know the Niles and Martin characters were created solely for the show, with and they, and they mentioned how it's just like you said your father was dead, and uh, <laughs> you know it's like I he never mentioned having a brother, it's, and and they just wipe it into like oh we were having a spat at that time therefore. Uh, I was never going to mention you anyway, uh, kind of deal. And there's always like, uh, there's great little um, <clears throat> cameos uh, throughout the season from people from Cheers. Ted Danson comes in. Uh, they go back to Boston for a while, and uh, you know because uh, and they they see Cliff Clavin in like the airport, who's bringing in his mom for his retirement party. 
and they don't realize that Cliff is actually having a retirement party. They're there for something completely different. And like, oh, yeah, yeah, your retirement party. That's uh, yeah, that's what we're doing. Oh, just forgot to RSVP. We wanted to surprise you. That's what it was. And then like Norm is there, and uh, you know half the gang that you know the the could afford uh, was there. It's it's really good. It's a lot of it's it's a great show. It's a lot of fun. And what the cool part about it is is that uh, that I like is. It's just very comedy of errors, everything. You know? Yeah. Whatever can go wrong, does go wrong, can go wrong, mistaken identity, all that kind of good stuff. That was really, you know, goes back to even, you know, uh, great great movies and stuff from, like, you know, the 40s. You know, you're like, you're, like you're, uh, you're bringing up Baby, His Girl Friday, like all those kinds of things that are, you know, really smart, quirky sort of things. And it totally works. It still works. It's still a pretty, uh, pretty fun show. And the nice part is, is like with them, most of the time still, they have cell phones, <laughs> which was one of the big things that like, you know, in Seinfeld, most of their problems would have been solved with the invention of the cell phone. <laughs> hey, we're stuck here. What do we do? Pull out a cell phone. Oh, we're lo- we, we, we've found a ride. We've, you know, mapped our way out of a particular location or something, all because we had a smartphone. So that's that's why Seinfeld couldn't work in 2018. But here's the thing. I wouldn't be shocked if they're bringing it back because they're bringing back everything now. You know? Uh, yeah. Roseanne's back. The Will and Grace is back. Uh, I heard something else about another show coming back. It's like, hey, what's what's once was old is now new again. You know, we'll just keep recycling. We have literally run out of ideas to where we're dipping back in and just going like, you know that show that's been off the air for 20 years? How about we dig that old fossil up? What a great idea. Uh, but So, yeah, I look. We maybe we can get Matt to talk about some Frasier or something. Maybe we'll do a bonus episode. But I talked about it for a while there. Anyways, closing up the old mailbag here. Bales here. All right, so let's get into a couple other things I've been watching uh, on Netflix. I watched the first two episodes, and I plan to watch more of uh, the new Lost in Space. Have you seen any of this yet? I have seen the trailer for it. I have not seen the show. Let me tell you, I dig it. Two shows in, uh, like, you get, it's like, it's exactly what kind of, like, reboots, reimaginings should be, right? They get a lot of the same sort of ideas and sort of feel to everything, but there's just enough of a twist, just enough of a bit of newness in there that makes you go, oh, all right, this feels, it feels familiar yet very new. I liken it to a lot of uh, what I liked about the Marvel Ultimate comics back in the day. You know, you're retreading a lot of the same kind of you know paths and stuff that we've crossed with these characters and stuff before, but you're doing it in a new and unique way that feels familiar yet fresh at the same time. Uh, but the production value, as we've seen with a lot of these Netflix shows, is still just rock solid, uh, very impressive, and you know I, I just don't. I don't know how Netflix is making money. <laughs> you see all these great shows and stuff, and you're just like, how do you guys continue to... The, the, God, the subscriptions just must be unbelievable over there. But uh, uh, I'll, I'll be watching a little bit more of that. But uh, for now, I would definitely recommend if you... Uh, uh, I, say if you're a sci-fi fan, you don't even have to have liked the initial Lost in Space at all. But uh, you know, if you know a little bit, it kind of helps and makes things extra cool. Uh, and the other thing that I uh, got to see this week, uh, which I, <laughs> oddly enough, I saw at the beginning of the day, right, 
then went to work, got out of work and everything, and then on the drive home, I was going, now what movie did I watch today? That's how good it was. Uh, I saw Blumhouse's Truth or Dare. Uh, So this is, I I don't know why this is the first one that has Blumhouse written on the top. I don't know if that's some branding that they're going to continue with. Um, If the success of this, well, I don't know. This movie couldn't have cost fucking anything to make. It had to be just nothing, right? But, uh, you know, it, it probably made enough money back for it to count as something. Okay, yeah, so truth or dare, it made do, 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 $23 million worldwide on a $3.5 million budget. This is why Jason Blum is a fucking genius, everybody. <laughs> he says, here's what we're going to do. We're going to make a movie. It's going to cost nothing to produce. We're going to spend probably twice that amount on advertising. Therefore, we even if you open up in you know fifth place, if you make $20, $20 million, guess what? Profit. You've done it. You've already, and you can continue doing on the thing that you did, and everything else on top of that is gravy. Now, it doesn't matter if the movie's good. doesn't matter if the movie is savaged by uh, you know critics' ratings and all that kind of stuff. Doesn't matter at all. Uh, but this movie, it's okay. It's like the premise is kind of shitty, but uh, sort of the idea is kind of fun. But it wears itself really quick. The only thing that I would really so essentially these guys, these these uh, like college age students are about to graduate, and uh, they head down to Mexico for like uh, a spring break, I guess. Yeah, like spring break. And uh, they meet a guy who drug them off to, like, this, you know, abandoned house or whatever. They uh, have a little bit to drink there, and then they play a game of Truth or Dare. Well, it turns out that game of Truth or Dare was kind of like uh, uh, It Follows in a really shitty way. (laughs) Uh, So, like, you've now, they've all been jumped into the game of Truth or Dare uh, by this this guy. And then he, he jets the scene. And so more or less a demon, if you will, or what have you. It's never really talked about all that well. I'm going to be frank with you. Uh, whenever that demon goes through, like you have to either do the dare or tell the truth. And by the way, if you do two... Well, I'm not going to ruin that part. Uh, but there are twists to the game. But, you know, it's okay. It's okay. It's not... It's It's wildly forgettable. I'll say that. Uh, I wouldn't recommend anybody really going to see it. This is more like a... There's really nothing else better to do on a Sunday afternoon when it's raining. Maybe that's what I'll go and do. But once you watch it, it goes right out the mind. Uh, None of the characters are too awful memorable. The only thing in it that I can say that's a real note is that whatever they do for the next iteration of the Joker, they, they, they did in this movie. They've made like these CGI smiles and stuff, which they even in the movie refer to as a twisted Snapchat filter. <laughs> uh, it works. It it kind of works. I like the smile. It looks demented, but it, lo- it still kind of looks real enough, and they can kind of move and emote their faces well enough to where I I'd like to see that happen. You know, because like Ledger's Joker was Ledger's Joker, right? It's very different than, you know, all the stuff that we'd kind of seen in the past. Nicholson's was great, but the smile also was super, super permanent because it was makeup. Uh, With this, though, you could kind of go through all those emotions and everything. And that's what I liked about, you know, the animated Joker is that he had those those ebbs and flows, right? Super manic, super happy, super laughing, and then, you know, he can have a big scowl at the same time, too. 
You can't have that scowl with the crazy makeup, but you also don't get the giant crazy smile with like the Heath Ledger stuff. So to me, I think this would be a nice idea for a CG middle ground. What do you think about the, just just to bring it off base half a second here, what do you think about the rumors of Joaquin Phoenix as uh, Joker? That's kind of going around the campfire. I... It's a little I, weird, right? I don't have a. I don't know if I have a strong opinion about that one way or another. So I mean, I, I, I'm not enough of a Batman person to be super invested in who they get to uh, yeah. to play the Joker from iteration. He's iteration. A, he's a, he's a fine actor. I, I, no, that's it may true. Be, that's and maybe true. he'll do a good job. I I don't know that he's one of the ones that I would necessarily have gone to, but uh, mm, have at it, fellas. So yeah. that's all I've been watching. Got you got anything on the uh, docket? Um. So speaking of things that are on Netflix, I don't know if you've covered covered this in the past on this show. I I don't think I remember hearing you guys talk about it. But uh, a few months uh, back, I guess they uh, Netflix uh, released. Um, I guess for for U.S. audiences, this British horror film called The Ritual. Did you see that? Adam or no uh was this the there's one that people are talking about I don't know if it's it's that one what's it what's it about so so the ritual it came out in October of last year in uh theaters in the UK it's directed by David Bruckner um and it's based on a novel of the same name uh from 2011 by Adam Neville and it stars a bunch of uh British actors who I don't recognize them. Maybe there's somebody. I'm not sure. Um, but basically, the whole premise of the movie is uh, that these there's this group of guys. Um, one of their friends dies. And um, I, I won't go into too much detail about that. It, it does have a lot to do with kind of the plot and the subtext of the movie. But basically, there's a group of guys. They've got one buddy who, who dies and... Um, and he had always wanted them to basically go uh, hiking through like the mountains of Norway, right? Mm-hmm. And so when he dies, they decide to honor his memory on like the one year anniversary of his death. They're all going to go hiking through the mountains of Norway, despite the fact that it is very obvious from the outset <laughs> that these are four guys who have no business being in the mountains of Norway. Um, and uh, so, so they they set out they. They go on this this trek, and basically, it it kind of turns into a, one of those like cabin in the woods films, but also sort of a kind of lost in the woods sort of movies because basically they they they're going through the woods. Um, one of the guys sprains his ankle, and then they're like, "Well, it's too far to go back the way we came to get you help. Um, so our best shot is to go." keep going ahead to the inn that we're supposed to be heading to but that's also a bit of a trek (laughs) so you know what here's a brilliant idea we're gonna cut through the woods we're gonna go off the path and cut through the woods um (laughs) to try and save time and get to the inn we're supposed to be heading to faster and so of course that doesn't work out uh they get lost in the woods they end up at a sort of creepy cabin that's been abandoned in the middle of the woods. Um, there's all kinds of weird sort of like witchcraft stuff in the cabin. They, they decide to spend the night there. And when they wake up, um, 
and and I think this is probably like the most effective part of the movie I found when they wake up like all kinds of bizarre stuff ha- has happened to them in the middle of the night that they can't really explain and you know they they try and pull their shit together and basically they're just like okay you know what let's just forget about that let's not try and think about it too much you know let's just let's just keep going let's get out of these woods and then as they're leaving the cabin and trying to get out of the woods they realize that something possibly from the cabin is following them Hmm. um and it's stalking them and uh so and and that's the thing about this movie that has um caused it to get uh, uh quite a bit of um buzz is the fact that it's it is a monster movie and the creature design in it um is is really great it's um it's pretty uh unusual uh it's definitely something that i don't think anybody has really seen before in a movie and and specifically it was uh designed by a uh english-born artist uh keith thompson who I've actually been a fan of Thompson's work for a long time. Uh, he's he's done various different things over the years, but more, most recently, uh, he got recruited by Del Toro, which happened made perfect sense. And he did some design work, for example, on Pacific Rim. He designed some of the kaiju and stuff. Hmm. Um, but he's designed something very different and much more in kind of the vein of his his normal art. Um, for the for the monster in this movie and it ties into there's some there's some Norse mythology in there there's some interesting stuff and it's a really bizarre and interesting looking kind of creature um i don't know as a whole if i think the movie kind of um you know works all the way through um you know i like i said i think the stuff at the cabin in the beginning of the film works i think the stuff with them sort of being stalked in the woods is okay. I think where the movie kind of ends up at the end, there's some sort of potential there, but it doesn't, I, I wasn't really happy at the end of the movie with the payoff. And the, the other problem that I have with this film, which, you know, is, which is that when you're doing a kind of like cabin in the woods movie as the movie cabin in the woods <laughs> by Joss Whedon uh, taught us, you know, part of the idea of one of these films is that you're supposed to kind of have a diverse range of characters that represent kind of people from all walks of life, you right. know? So it's, it's got that kind of, uh, you know, Gilligan's Island effect of like, you know, <laughs> taking society and boiling it down to a sort of a small, like microcosm. And so you can see these different people's personalities bounce off of each other. Here's the jock, so here's the nerd, here's the hot girl, all that kind of good stuff. Exactly. So essentially having a film where, your characters are a bunch of like middle-aged white British dudes who shouldn't be in the woods to begin with because <laughs> they're like out of shape, you know, clearly kind of like office workers, you know, sort of takes away from a little bit of that element, I think. And and so you get kind of bored with these characters after a while and you don't have as much investment in them as you should. But, you know, again, it, you know, I, it's it's a movie where I'll applaud it um, for you know not at least not being the same thing that you always see you know and, and again kind of going back to Whedon's Cabin in the Woods you know one of the kind of jokes that they make in that movie um, as I'm, I'm sure you'll recall is of course you know you have the whole thing where they've got 
this big whiteboard up with all of the different kind of monsters on it. Yeah. And the joke is that in the end, what wins out out of all these weird and cool monsters that you could see terrorizing these kids in this cabin, it's a bunch of like redneck zombies, which is something <laughs> that you've seen like a million times. And, you know, rather than something different. So I definitely applaud them for not doing something like that and doing something really bizarre, pulling something out of mythology, creating an original creature. So, um, yeah, that's that's probably one of the most recent things that I've watched that wasn't in theaters around um, that that's fairly recent because I just came out like a month or two ago on Netflix in the States. So they've been picking up quite a bit of uh, um, British stuff. So. Yeah, that's that's one I need to watch. I heard I heard some good stuff about that. I also uh, one I haven't seen yet, but I hear everybody talking about like, and I've heard I've never heard anybody in the middle, and that's what like when I hear that kind of stuff, it makes me excited. When it's just like people are like, I love it or I hate it. It's not in the middle. Is uh, Veronica? Have you seen this? I have not seen that. I've heard a lot of people just go, so scary you can't even finish it. And I've heard it's a utter piece of garbage. So I'm just like, I, <laughs> okay, now you've got my attention. Some people say it's the scariest thing in the world. Some people say it's absolutely stupid. And uh, I'm just fool enough to try out and find, you know. Uh, so, yeah, that's it, man. So let's get into our first new release review of the week. Here is the trailer for Isle of Dogs. The Japanese archipelago, 20 years in the future. Canine saturation has reached epidemic proportions. An outbreak of dog flu rips through the city of Megasaki. Mayor Kobayashi issues emergency orders, calling for a hasty quarantine. Trash Island becomes an exiled colony. The Isle of Dogs. I don't think I can stomach any more of this garbage. Exactly. Same here. Words out of my mouth. Nobody's giving up around here, and don't you forget it, ever. You're Rex. You're king. You're duke. You're boss. I'm chief. We're a pack of scary, indestructible alpha dogs. Atari Kobayashi, you heroically hijacked a junior turboprop XJ750 and flew it to the island because of your dog. I've got a crush on you. We get the idea. You're looking for your lost dog spots. Does anybody know him? No. no. I've lost all of my pride. Spots, if he's alive, may very well be living even at this moment as a captive prisoner. Somebody is up to something. Will you help him? The little pilot. Why should I? Because he's a 12-year-old boy. Dogs love those. We'll find him. Wherever he is, if he's alive, we'll find your dog. Ah! It's gonna be a fight! I wish somebody spoke his language. Wow. To the north, 
a long rickety causeway over a noxious sludge marsh leading to a radioactive landfill polluted by toxic chemical garbage. That's our destination. Great. Got it. Get ready to jump. All right, that was the trailer for Isle of Dogs, our first new release of the week. It just finally went wide. It took a while to get there. It started out a little small and then just kind of went bigger and bigger and bigger. Uh, it's now out nationwide. Uh, this is, of course, uh, uh, written and directed by Wes Anderson, starring Brian Cranston, Kayo, uh, Kayo? I think it's Kayo. Kayo Rankin, Edward Norton, Bob Balaban, Bill Murray, Jeff Goldblum, uh, Greta Gerwig, Francis McDormand, uh, Kira Ito, Scarlett Johansson, Harvey Keitel, F. Murray, Abraham Yoko, Ona, Tilda Swinton, Ken Watanabe, and pretty much anyone who's ever been in any Wes Anderson film and beyond. Just about. <laughs> Except for maybe Gene Hackman. Uh <laughs> But I think he's retired from acting altogether. Uh, please come back to us, Gene Hackman. We miss you. Um, so let me, Justin. Let me ask you this because I think this, I think this um, really encapsulates all of what people need to know about uh, anyone who goes to see a movie like this, and it defines on whether or not they should see it. Uh, are you a Wes Anderson fan? Um. I wouldn't go as far as describing myself as a fan of Wes Anderson. Okay. Um, so, but that doesn't mean I dislike his films. Um, I, I do enjoy his movies. Um, they're just not like my favorite thing in the world. Oh, no, uh, I get people, you. I get you. Yeah. People have asked me uh, prior to, to Isle of Dogs, like what my favorite Wes Anderson film was. And probably... Uh, my answer for that is is Life Aquatic. Mm -hmm. So I've always really enjoyed that film. I enjoy kind of like this the sort of satirical bent that it has on kind of like the whole sort of like celebrity scientist thing and um, you know sort of like you know marine marine biologists and stuff. Um, you know, so that that's a movie that I've really enjoyed of his. Um, you know. But yeah, it, it's definitely something where I've seen a lot of the films that he's done. I certainly haven't seen all of them uh, by any means. But, you know, I, I enjoy them. I enjoy his style. Um, I particularly um, like, you know, what he does with Isle of Dogs and uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox and also Life Aquatic um, in the sense that I am a stop motion enthusiast. So I like seeing stop motion animation in general. Right. And that was actually going to be my next question for you. Had you seen Fantastic Mr. Fox? And honestly, like I'd always kind of there were some movies of his I liked, some movies maybe not so much, uh, but I'd always kind of liked the guy's stuff more or less. But the thing that really got me and kind of tipped me into becoming a Wes Anderson fan, I wouldn't say I'm a diehard fan by any stretch of imagination, but like if something he does comes out, like I'm there, you know, uh, I'll go and watch it because it's like it's it's one of those just interesting enough and just different enough, and there's no one else out there like that that's giving us this kind of stuff. Uh, that work is it really came for me to fruition in Fantastic Mr. Fox. It was through that that I realized, holy shit, Wes Anderson's actually just been directing animation but with live action people throughout yeah. his entire career. It's it's almost been that. It's just but he's just done it with people. And so when he actually did it in stop motion animation, it was like, oh, this all makes sense now. <laughs> it's really bizarre that it makes sense that way. Uh but that's when I really kind of came on board, and like I, I love Grand Budapest Hotel. I thought that, especially with the uh, the different aspect ratios and how that story was told, was very interesting. And again, 
it's something new and different that we're just not getting from you know most other places. And we'd seen like uh, here um, earlier, couple couple weeks earlier uh, with the um, oh shucks, what's the the name of it? Uh, from the Ardman folks. What was the la- uh shit? Oh, uh, um, early man. Early man, which was good. Wasn't yeah. as good as like say Shaun of the Sheep, and there that's getting a sequel, which I'm ex- I'm excited for that. But I almost like that just because it's more of like a practice of hey, let's do all this with no words, which I like. Uh, right. but this uh, the this movie and um and Fantastic Mr. Fox really show you the super super mastery that can come from great stop motion. And I, this is yet as fantastic as fantastic. Mr. Fox was, I think this, uh, as far as like from an animation standpoint really goes even above and beyond what that was. Yeah. I can agree with that. Just from like a, uh, just having everything to do. And I love the different ways that the story is actually told. Because we're seeing what we're seeing, you know, uh, you know, the regular stop animation and stuff. And when they go to like television screens, it's then, you know, regular kind of cell animation, which I yeah. thought was a, a cool, interesting choice. Things that, you, again, it's, it's small little tiny details that we don't have anything really else to kind of compare it to. Um, as with Wes Anderson, he always has, you know, a great big cast. And man, you couldn't come up with a better cast than this, I don't think. It's pretty damn difficult to do. Uh, but let's let's start here because I I don't know what you've heard. What do you think about some of the uh, quote unquote, in my opinion, the words quote unquote, uh, controversy that's come along with this movie? Have you read any in, into any of that? Yeah, I've read a little bit about that. I I understand the um, the issues there. So you know, with so so the 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 allegations of of you know what they call cultural appropriation, right? Um, you know, that, uh, you know, how, you know, this, this movie is set in Japan. Obviously, Wes Anderson is not Japanese. Um, to my knowledge, he hasn't spent like a considerable amount of time in Japan. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, and um, so there's, there's always this question when you have a filmmaker like this, making a movie set in a culture and about a culture primarily that's not their own, whether or not they are doing due diligence, right? Which, you know, I, I think is is a fair question to ask in a movie like this. Um, you know, because I, I have certainly seen examples where you can have a movie that is set in, you know, a, uh, a, a foreign country or, or foreign from what is the the native speakers or the people who made the movie's own culture and you know it can be it can be disrespectful it can be flippant it Mm -hmm. can be you know i mean there's this whole idea of using another culture as a prop right and sometimes you know that is that is intentional you know um the one one example i always think about is um sofia coppola's lost in translation also with bill murray you know that's a movie which is not really about japan it's about two people um you know uh bill murray and um that's scar right yep scar Johansson. Mm -hmm. yeah um, it's been a minute. Uh, Scarlett Johansson, you know, who are these su- sort of two disaffected people at different points in their life who who find each other. Um, and, you know, and so to kind of emphasize how 
alienated they feel that movie is set in Japan. Um, you know, and I, I've read a lot of stuff by a lot of people who have pointed out that what uh, Coppola does with Japan in that movie can come across as really offensive, not because it's like racist or derogatory, but just because she's used, she, she's, it's, it's that old concept of like orientalism, right? It's mm -hmm. like, this is Japan. Japan is weird. Japan's not like the West. The Japanese are weird. The Japanese do weird things, you know, and I'm just, using this to kind of emphasize how weird and exotic it is. Right. Um, you know, so, so you, you have, you have those sorts of issues that, uh, can come up, you know, with regards to now, now the, the other thing for me though, that's always a question about this kind of stuff. Um, and, and the thing that, that bothers me in these sorts of discussions is, you know, I, I completely think that the, these are, like I said, these are things that should be talked about, that people should be open to talking about. My thing is, I always want to hear from the people whose culture is being represented. Yes. Right? I want to hear, like, the, the articles that I mentioned that have been written about Lost in Translation were all written by Japanese people. Mm -hmm. Like, that's what I care about. I don't care necessarily about whether or not another white person thinks that another white person has done a good job representing the culture of the Japanese, right? Unless perchance you're a white person that spent most of your life in Japan or something, you know, but if you're just as distant from that culture as somebody else, then I don't particularly see your point of view being any more valid than the person who's making the art is per yeah. se. And there'll be um, some people that don't like the phrase, but SJW people that want to be offended on behalf of others. And God knows mm -hmm. that those people exist. I don't care if you don't like the term or not. The people exist right. that, that are just like, well, I'm being offended for them. It's like, did you have, you know, you're so busy being offended. Did you stop to talk to any of the people that you think are, are the victims of this offense? And a lot of them don't. Well, I'm going to say most of them don't. They no, just are like, oh, th this doesn't. This makes me feel ooky, and it's like, you know what? Maybe that might be more telling about you than it is anything else. Now, I'm not saying that those things might not exist. They most certainly may, but it also may be something you projecting some of your own thoughts and feelings. Perhaps who knows? Yeah, it's it's you know the, my whole thing about all this kind of stuff is that I feel that people have a tendency to want to paint with a very broad brush when in fact these are incredibly nuanced issues um, that should be taken on a case by case basis and should be you know discussed by people who actually have something at stake in that discussion and it should be considered what is is actually at stake you know. Um, and I mean, I can go back to an example from last year, another one, which was, you know, when they made the live action Ghost in the Shell movie. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, that was that was a fascinating sort of thing to see because they cast, you know, Scarlett Johansson again um, to play a character who in the source material was Japanese. And that was sort of a fascinating dialogue to see worked out, not because of how any like white anime fans felt about it, but because you know, people in Japan were largely unfazed by it. In fact, yeah. many of them were actually ecstatic over the choice of Scarlett Johansson to play this character, whereas the people who were more upset about it were Asian Americans um, because, 
and because for them, this movie was doing a different kind of work, right? You know, Japanese people don't have to worry about Japanese representation in the media. They mm -hmm. live in a homogenous culture where everybody is primarily Japanese. Asian Americans have to worry about representation in the media because there aren't a lot of Asian American actors who are main characters in a lot of stuff historically. So for them, casting a white actress to play a Asian character in a major Hollywood film feels like more of a slight than it does to somebody living in Japan. Right. You know. Now, while so, those people so exist, are, also yeah, weeaboos. Just saying. No, and then <laughs> and then yeah, and then you have a completely different issue, which are yeah, white people who are offended by this because it's either not canon to the source material or because exactly right they they want everything to be as japanese as possible so you know movies films all this kind of stuff it does different sorts of cultural work for different groups of people you know and so you know you're always going to have everybody's got a different kind of perspective on these sorts of on these sorts of issues so all of that being said with regards to Isle of Dogs, um, I will say that the one article that I've read, uh, which I think is is the best one on this to date, is there is an article on Vulture called What It's Like to Watch Isle of Dogs as a Japanese Speaker, written by a writer, Emily Yoshida, who is uh, Asian-American. That sounds and, Irish to me. Don't pull this kind of... <laughs> um, and and you know so what and what she did was she took a group of um, either Japanese Americans or people who are Japanese and live in America now um, to see this movie and sat down afterwards and talked about it um, and and how they felt that it did in terms of representing Japanese culture and it's it's a fascinating article they also um, make some interesting parallels to a movie me and you talked about before which is shin godzilla mm -hmm. um in, in just the fact that if you recall shin godzilla was a movie where and th this shows that this goes for everybody across the board right this is not simply a hollywood issue because as you might remember shin godzilla has a certain japanese actress playing an american in that movie who does not do a particularly good oh no job. she was oh boy oh boy it is just yeah. like okay good for you well and it, and honestly it is kind of nice to be on the other end of that for for a change to just kind of be like oh no that's bad <laughs> i'm like no i can speak from this i'm american i know that that's terrible <laughs> But, you know, the, the, the thing with uh, Isle of Dogs is, you know, the, the great great thing about that movie is, you know, Wes Anderson, by all accounts, by and large, did his did his due diligence, right? He does not have a bunch of, you know, Americans trying to fake Japanese accents or... Or, or the know, worst thing, and we can't really even do it anymore, thank God, is just like fake foreign accent, fake foreign, you know, like, you know, gobbledygook language. Nobody just... It's like, it's none of that shit. It's like actual yeah. fucking actual language. And I, I, I honestly, you know who I congratulate the most on that? And who I think has really helped set that precedent over the over low these uh, almost 30 years at this point is The Simpsons. The Simpsons was always very proactive in saying, hey, if we're having someone speak a foreign language, it needs to be that actual language. They were very, uh, very insistent on, upon that throughout the entire history of that show. Yeah. So and, you know, and, and this is this is a case where, 
you know, in Isle of Dogs, you know, they got a bunch of Japanese actors, you know, Ken Wananabe, um, as you mentioned before, um, Kun Nomura is the one who plays uh, Mayor Kobayashi, uh, Koyu Rankin as the uh, main character, um, uh, Atari, he's actually uh, Scottish, Canadian, Japanese, so, but, um, you know, they, they got people who actually are Japanese, actually know the language, and by all accounts, you know, because I, despite my love of Japanese film, do not know Japanese well enough that I could tell you how accurate the language is in here, but based on this article and everything else I've heard, you know, it's it's perfect, and that's yeah. because they got native Japanese speakers to do it, you know. And hopefully, so, any, if any there were anomalies when things came up, they're like, actually, we'd probably say it like this, and I'm sure he was like, good do it yeah no there's um they they mentioned that that apparently there was some a bit of uh rewriting in the dialogue where you know they needed to um have to uh you know they would they would uh they would change things and in fact one of the things that's in this article that's really interesting is that they mentioned that if you are a native japanese speaker listening to the characters speak japanese um it's interesting because they are speaking a very kind of authentic uh, Japanese because it it's actually not particularly clear a lot of times. Right? Mm-hmm. It sounds like real people talking. It doesn't sound like someone's sort of translated something Japanese. exactly. Someone hasn't just re- is reading off the paper and wants to make sure they've enunciated everything that's in there. You know, if you if you if you see someone doing you know a southern accent on screen and every single word is exactly like like that's. That's if you got a real country fucking accent, you, you it's more boomhauer than you know, <laughs> some you know someone just clearly speaking every single word. Uh, it's things get cut off, words are you know abbreviated and things of that nature. Now, one of the the article that I kind of read, uh, which really was was more galling to me. Was it was from Slash Film? I forget the writer off the top of my head. I think it was Evangelista. I hate most of his fucking work. He's awful. He's a piece of shit. I, fuck you, Chris. I think that's his goddamn name, Chris Evangelista. Go fuck yourself. Uh, you, you garbage. Uh, but no, basically it was just like, and I understand to a degree. They're like, well, because the majority of like uh, of the Japanese uh, speech when it's like on like television or something is is kind of translated for us uh, by Francis McDormand's character, right? Right. So it's like, well, you're you're just going over their voice and, and, and not having them have their own speech and stuff. I'm like, first of all, let me tell you something, motherfucker. I saw this film opening weekend in an art house theater, and you know who, ha- in an art house theater, mind you, and you know who half the audience was? Fucking kids. Kids. All right. Most of them were in the age ranges of 10 to 12, which I think was a fantastic age range to watch this film in. You know, I Mm -hmm. I think they could easily get it Uh, younger than that may be a little bit difficult because, you know, there are actual subtitles in this thing. There's a lot of shit going on. You know, I mean, it's not inappropriate for younger children, but, you know, they may have a harder time kind of following what's going on. And it's a little bit, and in times it might be a little bit slow for smaller kids. But, you know, like I said, in that 10 to 12 range, that's really when you're starting to get into the good spot for this. Uh, and the, maybe they don't, they're not used to reading subtitles a whole bunch. And here's another thing. This movie, I got I got some for it's for an American audience. By and large, the majority of people who will see this film will be American people. And people just from the West in general, right? I'm not going to, that doesn't mean that, you know, 
and no one else can see it, obviously, but the majority of audience for this film will be people from the West, right? So yeah. one would imagine that when we go to these types of movies that they're going to try to adapt that best for the audience that's going in there. And I want to talk, and, and they were like, well, it seems to be like, you know, broad strokes and ideas of what Japan is, and the Japan that we see is not a Japan that actually exists. To which I say, no fucking shit, right? <laughs> it's it's not a real place. This is not, this is like kind of a, a in the in the not too distant future in a world that's very different is this is yet very similar but yet very different from the world that we actually live in some might say a parallel earth or some such shit you know uh so i don't look at that and just go like wow this is representative of all japanese cultures it's all just like this and anyone who thinks like that i'm sorry i've got news for you perhaps you're the fucking racist that sits there and thinks that like oh just because this one thing looks like this all things are like that are you going to tell me that you know you know all all people from the south have sex with their sisters you know and, and it's just stupid it's absolutely stupid to paint with these broad strokes and stuff on something that is a fictional fucking film. Yeah, dogs don't talk either. But what I love about it, too, is that they just go, by the way, all the dogs in this. But, and again, I think it's a total, uh, like, it, and I say this in the best way. It's a total great cop-out to have the thing, and by the way, uh, all the dog stuff, that's going to be just translated to English for you. You know, like, that that comes up as a as a title card early in the film to let you know, hey, by the way, the dogs are talking dog, but you're going to hear them in English because you don't fucking know dog. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So yeah. to me, it totally works. It's a fun film. If you're a dog lover, you'll absolutely love it. I'm, you know, I'm sitting there watching that film, and I could not wait to get home and, and hug on my dog because I'm just like, because <laughs> I fucking love my dog. And if you're a dog lover, uh, you'll definitely uh, have that going into this film. So uh, I, me, I'm highly recommending this. And that's why I say, that's why I ask people, are you a Wes Anderson fan? Because if you are, chances are you're probably going to dig this flick. Yeah, I, I loved it. I thought that it was great. You know, I, I'm like I said, you know, I mean, I, I enjoy, I enjoy stop motion. I enjoy, um, you know, I, I think Wes Anderson is a talented filmmaker and, you know, and I, I love Japanese cinema and that includes films like this that pay homage to Japanese cinema. I mean, there are, there are numerous, um, references in particular to, uh, Kurosawa films oh, yeah. scattered throughout this whole movie and, and other things, you know, that I think are probably like a little bit more obscure and not as well known. And, you know, I mean, I found it to be, you know, like you said, it's it's a fictional movie. It's not supposed to be representing, you know, real world, um, present day Japan. And, and but at the same time, I don't feel like it's just treating, you know, Japan as as a prop. So, um, you know, I think that it's it's trying to tap in to a certain kind of, uh, you know, uh, folklore and mythology um, within within that culture um, you know, to, and, and to make, make a point about, you know, language and communication and those sorts of things. So, you know, I thought that it was a really wonderful film and yeah, I think that it's, you know, it's, it is really like a family film. So, you know, other, other than, you know, a little bit of, of possibly like language issues here and there, um, there wasn't anything that I thought was particularly 
uh, inappropriate. And and yeah. the whole thing about the language stuff, though, is because I watched this and the other film we're going to talk about, Rampage, in the same sitting. <laughs> I was like, well, if you're going to bring your kids to Rampage, where uh, you know the Rock is is kind of swearing, you know like a sailor, um, then you should probably not be have a problem with taking them to see Isle of Dogs. Yeah, there's you there's know? some things that some parents who's just like, you're, you're, you're taking your kid to this? No, hey, <laughs> I'm not going to sit here. I'm not going to tell you you're a bad parent, but you sh- you're not g- I don't know. <laughs> Whatever. I, I, I was brought to see The Rock when I was like 13, so that's, and that's not bad. So, yeah. it, it, you know. You know your kids better than I know what your kids can do. So, all right. Speaking of that, let's go ahead and jump on into our second review. Here is the trailer for Rampage. I rescued George. He was two years old. He's not just a friend. He's family. Don't move a muscle. Are you crazy? No! Don't move! <laughs> uh huh. <laughs> Very funny. You and I laughing at your joke. New guy, he no laugh. He cry. You can get up now. And check your diaper. Come on. Let's go. Got your message about George. You okay? I don't know. George? It's okay. Is it me or is he considerably bigger? No, he's definitely bigger. I need to find someone who knows exactly what the hell this thing is. I found her. No, that's a lie. Technically, she found us. What's happening to my friend? Are you familiar with genetic editing? Changes will be incredibly unpredictable. Increased strength. George! Speed, agility. No! Try the cells and chains that can't run. Where's George? I need to see him. He is dangerous. I think it's time for me to turn the man around. We're gonna die! Probably! We've created the next chapter in natural selection. Project Rampage works. You got another one of your little science experiments running around. What do you mean another one? Of course, the wolf flies. It's time we throw everything we can at these things and get people the hell out of that city. Let's go save the world. That's a big arm. Don't fight it. You know there are other ways of dealing with people, right? I do know that, yeah, but that's no fun. Okay? Ready to do this, buddy? Alrighty, that was the trailer for Rampage, our last new release review of the week. Here's the IMDb plot line. When three different animals become infected with a dangerous pathogen, a primatologist and a geneticist team up to stop them from destroying Chicago. Oh, that old story. <laughs> uh, this is directed by Brad Payton, starring Dwayne The Rock Johnson, Naomi Harris, Mullen Ackerman, Jeffrey Dean Morgan, uh, Joe Manganiello, uh, PJ Byrne, and more. Uh, so, and like I said previously, based upon the video game where, you know, monsters c- climbed up and, and, and bashed on buildings. And uh, hey, at least they delivered uh, that towards the end of the program. <laughs> At the end of the day, I think that's all we can really just go. Hey, did did were were some buildings fucked up? Good, 
all right, then we got our money. Uh, so uh, were you a Rampage fan back in the day? <laughs> I, I have I, I've certainly played Rampage. Um, amongst the the gamut of giant monster video games, the Rampage was was not my my favorite. I am a, <laughs> a longtime admirer of uh, Primal Rage. So, oh, Primal Rage you... is a good one. Kind of uh, Killer Instinct was right around the era at the same time and all that sort of crap. But yeah, Primal Rage is more of that sort of, yeah, that seems a bit more up your alley. <laughs> yeah, I would, I would, uh, if, if, uh, if, if they make a Primal Rage movie, I, I will be very happy. <laughs> so, um, at some point. So, if, if Rampage leads to that, I don't, I don't know if it Just will. Just give us but, a 20% yeah. cut on whatever it is you make over there and we'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> That's a finder's fee, twenty percent. Fuck it, ten percent. Yeah. <laughs> I, I certainly, I certainly played Rampage uh, before. So, yeah, when this was announced, I was not super keen on it. It was, it was the idea of, hey, we're gonna take another crappy video game and put it into play. And uh, I, I made a statement. We we did a quick review, and we'll probably do a full review in in a bonus Patreon episode, Patreon.com/slash/filmline uh, of uh, Tomb Raider. And I said, Tomb Raider's probably the best video game uh, adaptation that we've ever kind of seen, right? This, this newest one. And uh, it's still, that, still, that statement still holds this week. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, with Rampage, here's the thing. Uh, I'm a big, as I think everybody is at this point, I'm a big fan of The Rock. We all love The Rock. He's just as, he's charismatic as all get out. I think he's got like, what, five films or something out this year. It's fucking unbelievable how, how much this man works. I, I, don't, I don't know how there are as many hours in the day for him. I think somehow he cheats. And uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's not good. I, I think it's, uh, I think he's a cheater. You're right. That's all I'm going to say. It. <laughs> I think somehow he freezes himself during the day. Uh, but he's got so much stuff going on. But I, you know, so when he when he signs up for Rampage, I'm like, yeah, all right, I'm on board. Uh, I'll, I'll do it. Yeah. And and while the, uh, they they do what they do to have to get things done, right? Because ultimately, the big thing is, is at the end of this movie, we need to have giant monsters fighting each other, and, and like, and they, and I promise you, they reverse engineered from that. They're like, how, where do we need to be at the end of this film? We need to have three big giant ass creatures just battling out. Okay, how do we get to there from you know there's C? How do we get to A? And then just kind of go backwards. And it's just as good a thing as anything, you know. Magical crap from another space universe thing sprays these things, makes them all you know mutated and whatnot. And uh, you know they get to fight. But here's the thing. Here's here's what I'll say. And um, the first half of this movie, I think, is its weakest point. Uh, it is fairly formulaic. It's not. It's it's okay, but it, it can get a little bit boring in its action and stuff. It is, however, in the end, it pays off because when you get to what you went to that movie to see, it's great, and it totally works at that point and then you're like I don't feel like I wasted how long is this flick hour and a half maybe something like that yeah so yeah I, I yeah I don't feel like I wasted my time at that point I go hey I got out of it uh exactly yeah Ooh, it's a little longer hour 47 I don't okay. feel, I don't feel like I, I I wasted that time because the last like 30 45 minutes of it definitely get into good into what I expected and what I wanted out of it 
What do you think? Yeah, I would I would agree with that that sort of general assessment. So you know, I mean, this is so this is this is being put out by Warner Brothers, right? So they um right they've got kind of this you know um you know they they're definitely in the giant monster movie business the monster sons if you will the monster sons yes yes yeah, oh there there have been people in in my circles who are starting to talk about the idea that we are in a kaiju renaissance eh, so. look we're we're st- the, the winds seem to be prevailing that way yeah so um you know, and and definitely they they are a major player in this. You know, and so for me, this film kind of fell squarely between how I felt about the 2014 Godzilla and um, the uh, and last year's Kong Skull Island, mm-hmm. in the sense that you know my issue with the 2014 Godzilla, as we discussed in that episode when we reviewed that film, was that you know that that is a two-hour movie. With ten minutes of Godzilla, <laughs> yes. it's mostly all saved towards the end. It's not a whole lot, um, and you spend a lot of time with a lot of very boring uh, human characters whose actions and, and motivations don't amount to much. Versus Kong Skull Island was a movie that gave you just heaping helpings of giant monster action almost from the very first scene and gave you very lightly sketched human characters who do the job of getting you um, through the movie and to those different giant monsters. Some of the expository stuff that kind of, you know, needed to be there to fill in all the tiny gaps that, you know, monsters themselves could not convey to you. Exactly. And, and so I feel like this film falls very much in between those two movies for me because it has the great giant monster action that you got out of kong you're you're absolutely right adam i mean the end of this movie is just you know really fucking fantastic with the three creatures going at each other in chicago it's some just really really good stuff um you know with with all of them you know and i i like i like all of the creatures you know especially especially lizzie i love the giant alligator that was a really good one i love how weird and bizarre ralph the wolf is the fact that it flies the fact that it has porcupine quills you know george is is really the most standard in that it's just it's a big white king kong right um but you know it they, they all do their job you know and you know then but those then as far as the human characters are concerned that's where i have sort of really mixed feelings and you know they're they're not with the rock i think dwayne johnson does a good job for the most part he plays his character you know he's you know he has a lot of charisma with the the gorilla um you know you you buy into this relationship that they're very close so then at the end of this movie when they kind of team up to fight the other two monsters you you buy into all of that um jeffrey dean morgan is basically playing himself um (laughs) and and i think that he's just fine in this film i don't have any problem with his character um the the problems that i start having is so like naomi harris's character i don't really understand the point of of her character's like story and arc in this i that was the point in the movie where they they have that scene where her and dwayne johnson are in that cornfield after the plane crash and she starts talking about like her sad backstory that was the 
first and only moment in this film where I felt myself come out of the movie and I was like, I what? I don't care. Um, yeah, her character, you could like, she is one of those, like, sadly, one of those characters that you could erase and it affects the film none. She's, exactly. She doesn't or, or, really bring a lot to the thing. And like, you know, <laughs> just another like, oh, we need a pretty scientist. Okay, we'll we'll cast this lady. Like, no, we just need to fill out a roster. It's like they had a like something they had to just tick off and just the, go the like, only, we need these things. The only purpose that she serves narratively in this film is that she points uh, Johnson and Morgan's character in the direction of the the bad guys of saying like they're the ones who are responsible for these monsters and like that could have been just as easily fulfilled if you know she was like a reporter yeah you know like some kind of investigative journalist who's looking into this company's like unethical experimentation on animals or something and it would have saved you a lot of time it would have been a lot more economical it would have been you know, this movie kind of also violates that storytelling rule of like Chekhov's gun in the sense that like she's built up to be like this kind of like brilliant geneticist who's going to help them, you know, figure out what to do about these creatures. And at the end, she doesn't really do anything with that. Yeah, it's kind of, it's, you know? Exactly. It's just it, it builds and it builds and it builds and then nothing. And then nothing. And then I, I felt just as bad um, is uh, um Mal- Malin or Malane's Ackerman's character and and her brother, yeah, um, as as the villains in the sense that you know they're they're very cardboard, very cut and dry. It's essentially just you know they're apparently like the the evil CEOs of this company who's wanting to use genetic engineering to make weaponized animals. They should both um, have mustaches that they twirl constantly. Right. You know, they're they're very silly as like villain characters. And and my complaint isn't with that so much. My complaint is with the fact that for some reason, the movie feels that every 10 to 15 minutes, we need to cut back to them. Basically, like you said, twirling their mustaches in their like uh, Chicago high rise for no real reason. They don't do anything. They don't do anything that advances the story. No, it's, it's this, pretty boring. And it's and the, the, jokes, and the jokes that where, are there don't work. Yeah. Yeah, there's this bizarre scene in the film where they're getting interrogated by, like, the FBI, which has no ramifications for anything else in the movie at all. Um, you know, and it, it, it felt like those moments, they were literally just trying to plug time. You know, like we've got to make this movie so long. And and so you would just get these moments that were kind of stretched out. And so that's the stuff that, yeah, I thought that that was that was sort of aggravating and that was sort of boring. And but I, again, I, I agree with you that what makes up for it is, you know, that the end of this movie is so strong when the creatures finally converge on Chicago and when they fight each other and even a lot of the stuff before that. I mean, I, I enjoy the scene with the wolf taking out the kind of like mercenary guys in the forest and, and some of those other earlier scenes. I, I generally enjoy the stuff, even though it's a little bit cliche of like, you know, the rock bonding with George and the zoo beforehand. In fact, you know, I, I really liked the characters of like the other zoo workers, you know, who he's like training and everything. And I was like, why bring those people? Yeah. At least they have personalities. Like she, she has like, they gave her no personality at all. 
Yeah. She she's there's no like I, I wish she had a quirk or something, anything that just made her go like made her character pop and it didn't. And that's what's that's what's sad. It's like and it's nothing to do with the actor or anything. It's just like it's just a woefully underwritten part. Yeah. Now no, I have a question for you because you know, normally when I go into almost any film that I was looking forward to, and I was looking forward to Rampage because I'm always up for more giant monster movies. Um, you know, I, I try to familiarize myself a little bit with the people who are responsible for this, but I, I will say I have never seen another movie by Brad Payton. No, no one has. <laughs> I was going to ask if you have. So like, No, no, I, I looked at his filmography and stuff because I was just like, that's not, no, that's Peyton Reed. He actually did something. He's done, <laughs> he's done work. This is, if you had Peyton somewhere in your name, I like, I've got, a, I've got like a rolling theory right now. Okay. If you've got if you've got Peyton first or last name doesn't matter we want you in the film business if your name is Jeff you know how many Jeff directors we got rolling nowadays a lot of Jeffs <laughs> coming up don't know why but watch out watch you're gonna see lots of Jeff directors I think that uh, that that uh, the Blumhouse flick I talked about see I've even forgot yeah. the fucking name Truth or Dare uh, that was directed by a Jeff. There's a couple other Jeff movies that are coming out. Jeff's a big name. Peyton's a big name. You got one of those two names, you may have a career in Hollywood and not even know it yet. But, but you, no, no one seen, knows who the fuck these people are. Have you Have you seen? Did you see either of the previous two movies he made with The Rock, San Andreas? Or yeah, Journey? San Andreas. Yeah, I, I did actually. They. Uh, here's the. I'll say this. Yeah. I, I bowl him out a little bit, but. Um, uh, San Andreas was pretty garbage. Um, yeah, we reviewed it back on this show. You guys can g- go back and see what I thought. Um, the journey, uh, uh journey Two. I I can't even remember if I saw that one or not. I feel <laughs> like I did, but I certainly can't remember it very well. Uh, but yeah, San, was... a- San Andreas we did review. Uh, it's, it's not very good. That was a, uh. Journey 2, I remember when that movie came out just because I didn't even see it, but I was just aggravated that somebody had the audacity to remake like one of my favorite Ray Harryhausen films. Yeah. So <laughs> Journey to the Mysterious Island and put that dumb like pun in it because it's supposed to be a sequel to that Brendan Fraser I, now uh, that Journey one, to the Center of the Earth remake. Now that one I did see in, in theater. <laughs> I know that one for sure. I can't remember if I see the rock one, but God knows I could not forget that Brendan Fraser one, which I did see in the theaters. God help me. <laughs> I, I have a problem, people. <laughs> I have a problem. So, uh, but no, listen, I, the guy, I, I feel like he's kind of uh, just one of those workhorses, direct to hire right. kind of people that, uh, fuck, he's got seven projects upcoming. Oh, Jesus, no. Uh, okay, let's let's run down a, a couple of the, a couple of his uh, flicks. Well, of course, he's uh, scheduled to direct Rampage, or excuse me, uh, San Andreas Two. Ugh. Uh, just give me another earthquake. Yes, I, I don't fucking. Know. I'm like, didn't everything get destroyed in that first flick? Uh, from what I remember, again, that what it's not. Here's the thing. I'm trying to remember. I'm trying to remember which I liked better, San Andreas or 2012. Both were kind of shit, but I'm trying to remember which shitty one I liked better. Um, I don't know. It's a it's a it's a fucking tie. Uh, Just cause they're still trying to make that into a movie. That's based on that's a video game. Uh, and uh, looks like Black Hole. Ugh. 
I fuck black holes garbage people. The, the I know Disney movie. Yeah, that's what I'm. Okay, yeah. okay. Black hole's terrible. Uh, but here's what black hole's great at, by the way. Black hole is one of the. I've probably talked about this on the show before, but black hole is one of the best underground, not intentional gay movies ever. That movie is so gay, but no one. It's it's. <laughs> It's it's underground secret gay, because there's so much stuff. If you look at the one like the main kind of bad guy and how he looks at the other guy and his constant like mm, sort of stuff going on, it's so gay. It's great, but it's like it's kitschy. It's I I like to think if it, if you watch it, it's kitschy gay. But I mean, hey, I bought it on VHS because I saw it in, like at a clamshell at a fucking used bookstore. I mean, but and I and I hate that movie. So is the Rock gonna be in it? <sighs> I don't know. Let's see if there's any. Let's see if there's any info on this. Uh, so doesn't. Wow, it doesn't look like we've got anything. Okay, I was just. I was just wondering because that would be, I guess, like the second, like Disney, seventies, eighties era, like sci-fi film remake that The Rock would be in because he was in the remake of Escape to Witch Mountain. Yeah, it just says in development. So hopefully that's the thing that never happens. <laughs> So, yeah, fingers uh, there, there, crossed. There are quite a few movies that I see occasionally pop up. They're supposed to be like remaking or something, and it says like in development. I just cross my fingers. Just don't. Big one, just big don't. one is always the birds. Oh, why would you do that? I don't know. I would just you know, every every couple of years, there's always that rumor that okay. they remake the birds, and I'm just like, no. Now there's only now. Okay, now I don't want you to remake Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds. Let's put it. Let, let me let me put put, put it this way. I don't okay. want you to ma- remake Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds, but if you want to call a movie The Birds and have it be a different kind of story, but, and some people will poo-poo this idea, but I've seen it happen. Years ago, we went to Universal when Universal had more shit, right? Or different shit. Right. And one of the things that they did was they had a whole bunch of Hitchcock shit. And one of them was see, was like they had this thing of like The Birds in 3D. And it was basically you put on these 3D glasses and it was like a thing. And then all, you know, as you might imagine, birds fucking flew everywhere. And it was great. It was really fucking cool. That's the only way that I want to see that. If it's an over-the-top, uh, uh, you know, I, if I had my druthers, they'd go William Castle and there'd be real fucking birds in the theater. But, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But I want to see, like, crazy 3D bird action where they specifically go over the top and try to like fly birds at your face and stuff and make it super kind of corny and fun that way. That's the only way I'll accept that. Uh, but if you're trying to remake just Hitchcock's movie, just don't fucking do that. stupid. Yeah. I mean, you know, the only person that remade Hitchcock really well was, was, was Hitchcock. <laughs> he did do that himself. Uh, but yeah, you know, Rampage is fine. It's it's fine. It's uh you know number one at the box office. I think it's made like a hundred and hundred forty, hundred eighty. Let's see, hundred yeah, hundred eighty three million dollars worldwide on a one twenty budget. This movie is going to make money. Uh, luckily they're gonna have because they'll probably win next week too because next week is garbage as we'll talk about in just a second. But uh, as far as as far as my recommendation. You you'll probably you won't find anything better like this last week or probably this upcoming week. Go go ahead and see it, but do know it's gonna it's gonna drag a little bit at first. But once you get to where you're once you get where you're going, I think it's worth the destination. Yeah, I mean you know, and and that's 
you know, from my perspective, that's something that is uh, unfortunately, you know, true about a lot of films yeah. in this genre going way back is, you know, you're, you're there for the monsters and you kind of just got to bide your time a little bit till you get to the monsters. But this is a case where, you know, it really it really pays off once you get to that. So, you know, it's and yeah, it's fine. You know, it's not you know, it's not anything um revelatory it, it doesn't redefine the genre you know it's 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 no shin godzilla but no there's no are. there's no wild <laughs> ass crazy monster that looks like he's smiling at you that don't blink and freaks you out on account of it <laughs> god i love that's so fucking weird crazy it's like mm, i'm coming down the streets it's just like what is going on here <laughs> so cool uh, so that's it, everybody. Uh, next week we have a, a, a disaster of a program for you. Uh, <laughs> it's not good. I'm very, very, I'm not excited about what we're doing. Uh, but you know what? I, I don't falter on this program. No, sir. Uh, so yes, I will be going to see the new Amy Schumer film. I hate Amy Schumer. I don't know if I've come. I don't know if I've said that enough on this podcast. I fucking hate her. I think she's terrible. I don't think she's funny. Uh, but I'm gonna go see that flick. It's it's sitting at a, a lovely 35 percent on Rotten Tomatoes. I'm probably not gonna go see Super Troopers too. Uh, maybe Matt will. I, I don't know what his feelings on that are. Uh, there's a couple other flicks coming out. The only one that looks like it might be all right is Traffic. We'll see. Who's to say? Uh, but you know. And maybe we'll pick a couple of things that are in art house theaters so there might be a little bit more for uh, people to watch because this next week, it ain't so good. But you know what comes after that, everybody? That's right. It's Avengers time. So as you might imagine, we're going to be talking a little bit about that. Uh, in the meantime, Justin, where can we find more of your work on the Internet, sir? Uh, you can always check out my blog, Man Creates Dinosaurs. Um, I've been a little swamped with other projects recently, uh, so I haven't had a chance to do... A lot of updating. I think the last thing I did was a little bit about um, an old issue of uh, Eerie, so the horror comic magazine. I'm sure you're familiar with that. Oh yeah. Adam. So, um, so you know, I I haven't really gotten a chance to do a whole lot of other stuff. But you know what? There's lots of good content on there that's sort of backlogged. Um, you know that I would I would encourage people to to check out. So and hopefully. Uh, as as things progress for me and move forward, I'll be able to do uh, more stuff. But yeah, Man Creates Dinosaurs is my blog. Um, I would check. I just tell people to to head on over there and, and check that out. And you know, other than that, I've got a couple things in the pipe coming on. I think last time I was on this show, I mentioned the fact that I've got a chapter in a book on Star Wars coming out that should be in September. Yeah. So that's going through. I just heard back from the editors on Saturday, so they were just doing final proofs, so it should be hitting the presses real soon. Excellent, so. excellent. Nice to hear that, man. Definitely going to be picking that up. And, of course, my other podcast, Hero Movie Podcast, HeroMoviePodcast.com. Man, we've been doing a lot of television. We just reviewed the uh, t- first two episodes of uh, uh, Legion back on FX for Season 2, uh, so check that out. And uh, next week, I'm going to announce it for the first time on this here program, Patreon people voted, and they said they want us to watch Ginger Dead Man, so that's something we're doing. Oh, boy. Kill me now. Uh, so we'll <laughs> we'll check out all that stuff, and uh, if you are if you haven't seen any of Preacher Season 2, that's now available on Hulu, 
And uh, if you haven't seen that and you haven't heard Preacher Podcast, head on over to uh, Preacher Podcast, man, and check that out. You'll have a little nice companion to uh, go with you, man. Uh, so that's it, everybody. Maybe Matt will be back next week. Maybe I'll do a show. show. Who the fuck knows what's going on? This is how this program works. Uh, that is it for Justin Mullis. I'm Adam Portress, and we will see you guys next time. They